Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Talking Smith. And this week we have two sponsors, and it's absolutely amazing to have them on board. Um, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by NI Coffee Company. NI Coffee Company was established in July 2020 while converting a chippy van into a mobile espresso bar. And the company skyrocketed. They work with local roasters and want to highlight the ever-growing homegrown coffee community whilst showcasing the quality coffee available and not just the big chain stuff. So folks, support local. I've always said this. This company is run by two good friends of mine and they love the podcast as well, hence why they've decided to sponsor it. During this pandemic, local businesses have taken a huge, huge hit. So why not go support them? They have some amazing coffees. My personal favourite is the Belfast Samson 3, which I use with my uh, French press that I got from their website. So why not go to www.nicoffee.co.uk and grab your own coffee today. Thank you for sponsoring the podcast and welcome aboard. And I'm also glad to announce that this podcast and the Two Girls One Smith podcast is now officially sponsored by Beer 52. What's Beer 52, you ask? <coughs> beer 52 is the world's largest beer club with nearly 200k active members. And I'll tell you one thing, the craft beers are fucking amazing. They do all craft beers and they really are great. I'm currently drinking uh, a Vans Belgian lager and it is delicious. I know it's 9 o'clock, but I don't care. They produce some amazing craft beers and you can get them too if you're interested. Why not go to wwwbeer 52 forward slash smith and get your free case of beer today. That's right, it is free. All you need to do is pay the 5.95 postage. How does that sound? Honestly, how does that sound? Like Each month, it has a different theme. So it could be a Californian beer, a Belgian beer, a French beer, a New Zealand beer, an Australian beer, and many, many, many more. Each box you get comes with craft beer themed right at a different place of origin and comes with a magazine and a snack as well from that place. So yes, why not go to www.beer52.smith and get your free case of beer today. 5.95 postage. It can be cut, paused and cancelled at any time. So yeah, I'll leave you to it. Why not go get it now? I'm going to crack open another beer and it's only 9 o'clock and I don't even care. So and as always, win the morning, win the day. Have a good one. Good luck. Just a quick side note. All views, points and opinions said on this podcast are off my own and in no way linked or affiliated to our sponsors. So yeah, win the morning, win the day and good luck. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Talking Smith. And today we have a guest joining us. This man is one half of the Bonnevilles. He's toured the UK and Europe. He is the host of the brilliant pod- Politics, Culture and Some Other Shit podcast. The fantastic and incredibly gifted and one of Lurgan's finest, Andy McRibbon. Hello. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? How's life? Oh good! Oh good! That's a lovely intro. I wish I would get that every time, every room I walk into. That's that's what everyone actually says about my intros. That they love the fact <laughs> I put like all this effort into my intros. So they do. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Pe- people just want me to follow them about and just introduce them to people and take photographs and video their lives. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would work. I'm like yeah, I'm like in your I'm like in your studio, man. It's, 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 it looks very class. 
Yeah, it's good. Yeah, um, it's it's just a it's a cabin. It's one of those sort of log cabins that you know you you throw together yourself. Really, yeah. they come as a kit. It's a kit, I should say. But of it, of it, you know, of it heavily modified, of it all well insulated, and there's there's a lot of work done on the inside of it. But I got it a couple of years ago. I decided um, I was in a bit of a funk. I'd come off a couple of tours with the band. Yeah, we'd done a few big Euro tours. Uh, they were, <clears throat> excuse me, they were grilling. So they were, we were on the road, like driving. Uh, I think we averaged nine hours a day in three weeks, but we were doing upwards of 12, 13 hours a day driving, and then having the gig oh. at the end of that. And it was, and it was, you know, and we just work out of a van, you know. So yeah. we, I, I would do all the driving. Chris didn't even have a driving license back then, I don't think. And um, so, uh, so yeah, so we would get to the van and we'd play the gig, and then we might have to jump in the van for a couple of hours to drive to the hotel because the next, the drive the next day was so long. So yeah, if you're driving at two in the morning on the motorway, you can do you can do 120 miles an hour on the motorway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you can put a lot of time in, but it, you know, so you could do three or four hours at night in two hours, if you know what I mean. Because if you want to do it the next day, you make it caught in traffic and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it was like that, and it was it was like I said, and there was two on the bounce like that. So we did we did like six or seven weeks on the bounce, uh, and but by the time I got home, I was absolutely wiped out. I, I was physically exhausted and mentally exhausted, and I was going. I didn't know if I really. I was sort. It sort of pushed me to the, to my limit, mm-hmm. and we, we we did. We drew. I'll give you an example of what we did. We did uh, the Netherlands, Germany, Austria, Slovakia, Slovenia, Serbia, Croatia, Italy, Spain, France, Spain, France again, Belgium. A big loop. We did that in three weeks. That's wild. I, I, I actually, yeah, I, I seen that because I was looking. I was, I was doing research on you last night and stuff for for the podcast, and I think mm. you, you hit you hit like was it in the space of seven days you hit like five countries or something. Aye, that's wild. Like. Exactly, and and I know, and it was it, it's just out of a you know, like I said, it's just us out of our van. So we you know, well, I think on that tour we actually rent. We, we have a company that we rent from in 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 Amsterdam. So we rented the gear from, and we got a good because we did actually because we we got a newer, fresher van because we we didn't want to break down in <laughs> in Eastern Europe. Um, so so but anyway, so I came back and I needed a break. Uh, and I, I I was sort of I was teetering on quitting. I was oh, really it was in my head. Yes, it was in my head to quit. Um. And I didn't know what to do, so I'm I'm a great believer in listening to your you know your inner voice your yeah, your, yeah, your yeah. subconscious. I, I believe that you know there you, you, you're there's other parts of you that aren't um, uh, that, that, that aren't actually part of you. Yes, it's, it's like yeah, a, I, aren't, I, I know exactly. They aren't the saying. surface level. Yes, they, they aren't the surface level, and they're working away in the background, and they're yep. they, they're figuring shit out on your behalf. But you have to be able to tap into it. You have to be able to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I write songs. Actually, I, I, I write a lot like that. So I kind of go into these sort of dream spaces and sort of just write stuff and stream of consciousness and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But so I would be well versed in listening to that. So for something just. I just right, 
build a studio, write an album, record all the instruments, do everything yourself in the studio. Mm. That's your thing. That's class. And I, said, right, that, I, just, I just woke up one day and I went, right, that's what I'm going to do. I took a notion, said to my beautiful wife, Janie, she went, that's a great idea, like, you, you should do that. Bought the studio, built it, started, I had nothing written. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write from a different place, so I didn't want, normally what I'd do is I would, uh, you know, an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar and a notepad and I would write and I would have, have these books that I'm sitting here right in front <laughs> Scatter, of them. Scattered everywhere. There are loads of them. And I keep all my notes in there and I'll, I'll stitch songs together from that sometimes. And there's all different ways of doing it. But this was a clean slate, nothing, literally nothing written. And I didn't want to sit down and write with a write a song like that. So I wanted to go and use this space, this studio, as an experimental sort of yeah. environment to tap into the new ways of being creative. Brilliant. So I started doing tape loops and buying audience. So we'd make these wee cassette tape loops. So you get a cassette tape, and I've got a four-track of it under the desk there, like an, an old vintage four-track tape Unreal. recorder from like, from like the 90s or the 80s. Yeah. And you get these wee tapes, and you open them up, and they've got 90 minutes of tape in them, and you you, you just strip out, and you, you make a little loop with five or seven seconds mm-hmm. of cassette tape, and you put it into the machine. And on the four, and then you'd, 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 it's called sound on sound recording. Yes, I've so heard of that. So the tape's yeah, yeah. going round, uh-huh. and it's 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 deleting itself. Yep. You're making the sound, and as it goes round through the tape head, it's deleting itself. So you're you're trying to make these sounds, and you got four. To, I, well, my machine is four tracks, so you can blend. You got four different sort of noises, and you can yeah, try yeah, yeah. and make. And if you listen to my, 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 so the album that I made was called Northern Gothic. And a couple yes. of the songs, most of the songs, there's there's these weird intros, just these sort of psychedelic sounds. That's the tape machine looping on itself. Unreal. So I would use that and then go, I would listen to the sound that it would make. I would, and then you press stop and you, you turn the record head off and you just press the play head and then you try to make something out of it. And if you're lucky you hear a rhythm or you hear a melody or you hear a tone or a key or even a no- anything at all. You hear something and you go, oh, I can, and then you go and lift the bass guitar, you go and go to the piano or you go to the drum kit or, mm-hmm. you know, it'll just inspire you to do something yeah. and then eventually you end up with this completely fucking different song that you would never have found otherwise. That's unbelievable. So that's what this space is. I have yeah. to answer your question in a very long <laughs> way, but that's what this space is. Uh, did, did you record the Dirty Photographs album in there? No, no. We recorded the Dirty Photographs and uh, Mike, Mike and Marmika's up and um, he, he's moved the studio now. He's outside. Uh, uh, he's in just in a, a unit outside Hillsborough now. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic studio. It's much better now than it, even than it was, but he basically had an old farmhouse mm-hmm. in Ballandary. Excuse me, um, and it, it was great. It was like a again. I, I love that because his space was like a basically that it was a farmhouse, mm-hmm. and he would do that. So he'd been recording in there. It's a it's a commercial studio, but he'd yeah. been recording in there for years. Melodian and all recorded loads of stuff in there, and, and there and lots and lots of people. And it's a weird thing. He would come in. So 
you had the live room, which was basically sort of like the dining room of a country farmhouse. Yeah. With nothing in it. Mm-hmm. And all, and just all the wood. It's all, so it's all stripped back. It's all sort of wooden floors. And, and then he'd come in and he'd go, right, okay, so, okay, lads, go for it. Play something. And he, you play, play it. We had a, had a thing, whatever it was. And then he, 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 the door would open and he'd go, stop, stop, stop. And he'd come and he would pull the curtains. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd come in and he would pull the curtains and he'd go right trap now and he'd go that's it that was what it was so he knew the room he knew the room that well and he, he would he would he, when you were doing the vocal he would he would set you up and he would and he would do, do the same thing he'd go right give us a go give us a take and you'd, you'd sing a vocal and he'd come in and he'd, he'd turn your microphone he said you're getting a reflection off of that window he said so I'll pull that curtain turn you three degrees this way right go again and he could he just knew the room perfectly and it was brilliant. It's brilliant, brilliant space. That's that's that's, that's wild. Like if somebody has that that that, that li- listening capability to know like that's that's, that's bouncing off that mirror, bouncing off that fucking wall, and to change mm. that. But like, I, uh, the reason why I was asked about your writing process, I, I sort of thought you went like all Stephen King and locked yourself in a room, took LSD and coke, and started writing, <laughs> <laughs> and just seen what fucking give up. I'm not fucking ruling that out. That might be nice. <laughs> I'll see you in ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm up for everything. I don't know at get, all. Get it out of you. It's, it's whatever it takes. I uh, see. I, I only, I only recent, recently got into your music there during the lockdown, thanks to another lurking man, Nicky Bartlett. Oh yeah. Uh, th- I think he's great. Mickey's great. He was doing the Dexter News podcast. Shout out to them boys. Um, it was during the pod quiz. I think he either mentioned your name or played one of your songs during like the, the one of the smoke the, breaks. The, I think. I they did a few times. I was doing those pod quizzes myself. So was I. What was your What was your name? What was? Uh, oh, I can't remember now. We were. It was me and uh, Janie, and then Richie and Lisa. So there was the four of us. We kind of were in a team together. Uh, I, th- I think I was her her Vajazi's secret cervix. <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, that that's was a me. <laughs> no, that's I, a good one, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good. No, I, that's, not, I think I think the first song I listened to off yours on that pod quiz was the Hardtail Lurkin Blues. Mm. And mm. that and, and, and I looked at it, I think I saw on your Good Suits and Fighting Boots album, I think, isn't it? That's right, that's our, uh, our first record, yeah. Uh, and I was I started jamming it, and from there I was just sort of started working my way up through your albums. And man, the music is fucking phenomenal. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you. Thank you Thank very you. much for producing it. Like, but yeah, then then then, then two lads have introduced me to shit ton of music, like Flex Yourselves, the Bonnevilles, like the String Ninjas as well. I had Mick Collin on my podcast uh, yeah. there not too long ago too. And uh, I mix good lad, isn't he? Mick's fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. He's some lad. And then Curtis Millen as well, but like them, them boys have changed my music um, library completely. But what I want to ask you is, what was your inspiration to change your music styles, or go and like, start recording albums, or start playing music in general? Um. Well, I mean, well, to to I mean, my to go back to the stuff. I mean, I I started playing the guitar when I was around around seven or eight years of age. It was a pastor's my father. Mm-hmm. And he agreed to send me the lessons, a local local woman here in, in Lurgan, and um, the Fran McCann, her name is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I always want to, I was always into music, I was always a musical person. Um, but as I got, but the music of the day didn't really interest me until I hit 16. And uh, I discovered blues, basically, I discovered Robert Johnson, mm-hmm. a tattoo on my arm there. Class. And, um, 
I, I discovered him. Uh, I won't. I've, I've told the story a hundred times, but so I won't go through it again. But I discovered him, and it kind of. I wasn't even. I wasn't sure what I was listening to because it was so otherworldly to anything I'd ever heard before. I, w- I didn't even know if I liked it, but I was completely fucking mesmerized, and I was trying to emulate it and trying to play. I was trying to play it. I didn't know what an open tuning was and all that. So I was trying to play it on a like standard guitar, and I, w- I wasn't a great. I wasn't a great guitar player. Um. So there was that, and then the grunge thing happened in the nineties. The early, early to mid nineties, I got big into Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and Nirvana and all that. Unreal. I and uh, and w- w- what that did for me. So I like heavy music, mm-hmm. but I like melody as well. Funny, I was talking with Mick about this the other week there on the yes, po- on the podcast yeah. as well. And it, so for me, you got to have it's melody that's, that keeps me hooked. But I like the weight. I like the heaviness of of and, and, and that's where grunge hit the mark for me just mm-hmm. at the right time I was at the right age and everything and so it was I was listening I mean I'd heard um, Pearl Jam and all the rest of it, but the big album for me was Super Unknown by Soundgarden yes uh-huh. and that just fucking whew, that just changed my world that mm-hmm. record just blew me out of the water and that was so I, I was able to see how melody and heaviness and you know, can can live together, mm-hmm. and and good lyrics and good good vocals and all the rest of it. And I'm not saying that I <laughs> do anything close to that, but the, you, 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 that's the high that's the high mark. So then, skip forward, that's uh, got a, a decade or more maybe. Then you end up with the Detroit Garage scene. The Detroit Garage bands all yes. start to come over to Europe. So it's you know, most notably was the White Stripes, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you had many others. You did the, the Dirt Bombs, the Detroit Cobras, the Von Bondies, the Sites. You had all the bands coming over from record labels like Estrus and Sympathy for the Record Industry and Alive Records, who the Bonnevilles are on now. Wow. So we, we, there was all these labels all coming over to Europe and doing well in America and stuff, or all these bands. And so those, I would say those three sort of things are the things that sort of fuse together mm-hmm. for me to help me. But as far as uh, to, to, to be in the Bonnevilles, but as far as influences go and w- with what I'm doing, I am a songwriter. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I can, I can kind of sort of drop into, I suppose like yourself, anybody that plays the guitar, you'd be writing a song and you go, that's just pure country oh, wow. or that's just pure fucking pop or that's you know you'd be writing a song you go that's not for the Bonneville so it gets parked mm-hmm. do you know what I mean yeah yeah and yeah and you just sort of you go well I'm not going to finish writing that country song because it's not but you still end up with this lovely little melody or this lovely little hook or this lovely but you'll never be able to use mm-hmm. so it's also it's a wee frustration within me that I don't have an outlet for those so that's a part of what my solo project is about yes is about being able to give those songs a wee outlet to be able to do something with those like so, for example, going on the road with the Bonnevilles, so, so doing a two, two three-week tours back-to-back, you know, touring all over Europe, and, you know, as much of a privilege as that is, it's difficult. It's physically and mentally draining. Mm-hmm. Whereas you've got the complete fucking joy of putting an acoustic guitar into a gig bag, jumping on the train, me and Janie, and one of my daughters maybe coming up with me, jumping on the train, going and playing an afternoon gig. Mm-hmm. 
in the American bar, getting yeah. a hundred pound in your hand and going for something to eat and having a lack of pints and getting going home in the last train. You know what I mean? So you're getting to play your music, mm-hmm. but the joy and the freedom and the ease, the ease of it yeah. compared to what the other thing is, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get you. So that's where my motivation for that stuff is coming from now because I still want to... I, I remember a guy years ago, I used to have a shop. I used to have a, a, a music shop here in Ireland. I am an awful businessman. I am, <laughs> when it comes to money... Seriously, when it comes to money, I am bad. I am just a spend thrift. I just, I don't want money. I don't care for money. I've got no money in my pocket right now. Mm-hmm. But if you put a hundred pound in my pocket, I will find a way of spending a hundred pound. I'm the and exact go, same. Like, I, there's a lot of people like us, right? Oh, I. so, so I end up, I decide that I want to open this guitar shop in Ireland. And it would have worked if it had been someone else in charge, someone, someone else with a bit more acumen, a bit more business acumen. But I end up basically running the shop into the ground. But by the time I quit the shop, I mean, obviously you take on a lot of debt and all the rest of it. And I was so disheartened with the whole project. And there was a guy who says to me, I remember him saying something to me, and it stayed with me. And it's one of the reasons that I don't, I didn't quit the Bonneville. Mm-hmm. Was this wee echo from the past going around my head. And he said, um, he says, it's an awful shame that you're going to leave. He says, because, he says, you're going to start up again. And I went, never, I'll never open a shop again. It's been a fucking nightmare. And he says, it's a real shame. He says, because your expertise is now lost forever. You, you're not going to pass that on. You know, so all the kids coming into the shop buying their first guitar, they're not going to do that. That's not going to happen now. Mm-hmm. And there's all the little knock-ons. And, I went, oh, Jesus, I hear what you're saying. It's hard when you think of it like that. And then 10 years after the shop's closed, I'm walking down the street and some young fella who now has a beard mm-hmm. who I don't recognize at all stops me and starts to talk to me about the time that I taught him the guitar. And I don't, even, I can't even remember him. Jeez. And he says, you changed my life. I'm now listening to this and listening to that and listening. And I get that regular. And that's what he meant. That's what that guy meant when he said, you know, that's now lost. And whenever I was thinking of quitting what I was doing, my life's work, my life's ambition, my life's goal, which was to be in a, was only ever to be in a band, to be a musician, that was it. Yeah. Whenever you're thinking of quitting, that guy's, that, that guy's voice, advice, is, yeah, playing the back his voice head. just comes around my head and says, don't fucking quit. Take a break. Go and do something different. This, that's what this is about. That's what this studio was about. Yeah. Go and do something different. Give yourself a fucking a bit of, a bit of time, a bit of distance between the problem and the future. Mm-hmm. But don't quit. Don't in haste. Don't quit in haste. Let's say that. If you still want to quit after a period of time, or whatever you're comfortable with the idea, by all means. But don't quit in haste. Yeah. You know. Oh, big time! Like, see, see that sort of thing like, where you get recognised by people in 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 Lurgan especially, or anywhere in Northern Ireland, for for example. I've just started experience that now because the podcast has started kicking off. Yeah, I don't know how yeah. to re- I don't know how to react. So, so say the first part. <laughs> say the first time you're actually recognised somewhere random. Like I'm a Dungannon man. I was I was recognised in Belfast out, out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> Some bike up, goes, oh, are you Smitty from the Talking Smith and Two Girls Smith podcast? And I'm like. I do you actually listen to that shit? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 so like, do, do do you remember your first encounter with somebody that actually recognised and was like proper fan boy and over your girl fan girl over you? 
I, I can't say I remember the first time exactly. It's something that I'm not comfortable with, much like yourself. Yeah. I think if you do get comfortable, I think if you get comfortable with it, you're probably a wee bit nuts. I think <laughs> most people, yeah. I think most people are very, I, I think the natural um, state of play is for you to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm uncomfortable. I've been recognised in restaurants in England. You know, we're going to play us. We, we were playing a gig. We're, 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 there is an occasion I was thinking of where the waiter was actually going to the gig. <laughs> uh, so, it, where the fuck was it? Lamington. Mm-hmm. And and um, we do well there. It's, it's, a, it's a long story. We've got a very, very diligent and curing promoter mm-hmm. who books us in Lamington and he fucking adores us and he puts on, he, he looks after us like we are rock stars, but he puts so much effort into the promotion. But he's created this fucking scene around us, so we 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 sell out the big room in Lamington, and um, it's all because of him. But uh, yeah, so the waiter coming up and going, oh, "You're the Bonnevilles, I'm going to come and see you later," and then he was just fucking fawning all over us, and he, you know, it is awkward. And then there was another occasion. Ah, I'll tell you one. This is the weird one. <clears throat> so we played in we played in Mississippi. In 2015, I think it was, and we got brought over to play a festival called the Deep Blues Festival in Clarksdale. Mm-hmm. And Clarksdale is where the, as the legend goes. The crossroads outside Clarksdale is where Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil. Robert Johnson is the man whose tattoo is on my arm, yes. who is my my hero. Mm-hmm. And um, so obviously we took the took the chance, took you know jumped on the opportunity to to go and play that. So, as a part of us going over there, someone had contacted us from Tupelo, which is also in Mississippi, about an hour's thick, I think there were maybe two hours, an hour or two anyway, from Clarksdale. Mm-hmm. And they said, listen, we're organizing this wee festival. We do it every year. The guy that organizes the festival is the biggest Bonneville fan in the world. And we're like, what? We had no idea. What, what the fuck? What do you mean? <laughs> and Do you think you'll be able to play the festival here in Tupelo as well as the festival in Clarksdale on the same weekend? Made a few inquiries, got back to them, says, yes, absolutely, let's do that. So we made, we played our, we had two gigs to play at the, the Clarksdale Festival, the Friday and the Sunday night, so the Saturday was free, so we drove up to, Clark, to Tupelo to play the Saturday. Mm-hmm. The guy welcomes us into the place, thrilled that we're there, can't believe it, he's a bit, huge fan, we're, we, do, we don't get it, we don't understand, we, don't, we still don't get what he means. Mm-hmm. He says, right, he's hungry, he said, I could do what I did. He said, come on over here. So it's one of those big, you see them in those Americans, like, diners, drive-ins and dives and all that sort of place. Yeah. But it's this big, massive, this big, massive American bar. Shoot, the place, is, it's like a big, it would be a dance hall in Ireland, if you know what I mean. But the, <laughs> yeah. there's, a big, there's a big bar mm-hmm. at one end, takes up the whole end. And then going forward, there's a load of tables and chairs. And then after that, there's a big sort of dance floor with a stage at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And it's a bar restaurant. You know American bars are all sort of bar yeah, restaurants yeah, type yeah, things. Yeah. So it's all like that, but it's very, very big. So he brings us down to this table and he says, right, anything you want on the menu, he says, the waiter's there, he's going to look after you. So we're sitting there, oh, we'll have a bit of that, have a bit of that. Food comes down. Me and Chris are there and we brought our wives with us as well because we were there for a week and a bit. We went for a holiday. Mm -hmm. So um, we're all sitting and somebody, um, I think it was Janie or Shelley, I can't remember, sort of elbows us. Who's that? I look around and there was a 
there was a guy standing at the bar looking at us and he was holding something in his hands. Like, fuck, I don't know. He was clearly there looking at us. <laughs> Just there. He wasn't there. The, 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 the place was closed as well. The, so there was no, they were getting ready for the evening. And, and I said, like, fuck, I know. So we carried on eating and then we looked around and then there was an old guy behind him and then there was a girl behind them and then there was another. And they started to form a queue. Fuck. And it was fans coming to get our fucking merch signed. Jesus. It was a queue. And they were waiting for us. They were waiting for us to finish our food. At least they were respectful. And I said, well, they were very, very polite. And they're not armed to the fucking teeth, but very polite. <laughs> <laughs> but the guy, he says, um, or, or, so I, I, was, I, I was sort of processing. And I said, Chris, they're here for us. And he went, Rabbit. They went, I think they are. I mean, what the fuck else are they doing here? So the guy, David, who was, who was the booker, he was. He came by to say, and I said, oh, "What the crack here? What's going on?" He said, "Oh, they, 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 they're waiting for you to finish, and they want you to sign some merch." He went, "How do they know who we are?" <laughs> and so he started to explain what it is. So we got up and we signed the merch and all the rest of it, and everyone was all very lovely and polite and just adorable and delighted that we were there. And it was again weird as fuck, yeah. right? Not not a comfortable situation, but you deal with it as much as you can. You, <laughs> you sit and you take your selfies and you sign your your records that you didn't even know were in the fucking country. And so it says that they asked the gay David. So it turned out, this is what happened. A number of years previous, there's a guy called Seth Rennick, who is a, the biggest man I have ever seen. He was at the gig. I mean, this guy is fucking enormous. Huge. And now he's a fucking powerlifter. Since then, he's got into powerlifting. He's even bigger now. I mean, this guy, he, he later on in the evening, he, I mean, I'm six foot. 14 and a half stone. He scooped me up in his arms like I was a fucking, we got a photograph of like I was a fucking baby. <laughs> not joking, just not about it. I just, it was weird. <clears throat> so it turned out that that guy, he, I think he's an engineer or, or a, a, a mechanic or something like that. And he discovered our music mm. and he started to play it in his garage or his workshop. Yep. And Everybody knows him, and he's sort of a well-respected guy. And he would go here, have a listen to this. And he would pass the music, and he ended up passing the music around his whole fucking community, and then it spread out further and further and further. And next thing you know, we arrive in fucking Chippewa, Mississippi, and there's five hundred people coming to see us, Man. and we have no fucking idea, not a clue. Just, did you leave a so, brown? Did you leave a brown onion in your knackers when you seen them all? Did you? <laughs> oh, it was, well, to be now, I, I'm not going to take complete credit for everybody being there to see us. Because there was a festival, and you know, and and they do have they do it every year and all the rest of it. But there was a significant amount of people there to see us, and they knew our music. They were sitting. Me, we're in Tupelo, Mississippi, um, where Elvis was born, where Elvis lived mm-hmm. as a child, yep. and people are singing our music at us, literally singing our music at us. Where's so, where's so, I can you know like those things you see with Robbie Williams where he never finishes a fucking song. Just stick the music out into the cut, and they all they all say we're paying you to sing you prick. Yeah, you do. You I could have done. I I literally could have done that. I could have stuck the microphone out into the audience and just let them sing the songs. It was fucking unbelievable. So to answer your question, you know, the, when you get reckoned and all that, you do. Obviously, you do, and not all the time, not everywhere. Mm. I'll tell you one. I'll tell you this one. <laughs> I love. I love so, this. <laughs> I, t- I tell you one. I tell you one. Is do with Mickey Bartlett. So. It, Mickey. Mickey, it was during the first, it was during, it was early days of the lockdown and he, he was doing, 
idea, a couple of ideas for doing some skills. We we go roller skating together, so there's a roller skating rink over in Border Down. Yeah. So we go roller skating together. So it had all been closed down. Well, Mickey's got his own roller blades and all, and he, he was in a video of mine and all the rest of it on the roller blades. So he says, "If I'm going over to the park, I said I'm going to do some some a wee skip." I says, "Well, sir, I'll come with you." And so we go over to the park and we film some stuff. So we, we're walking back through Victoria Street, just at the side of the park here in Lurgan. Mm-hmm. And there's something going on. The cops have got one of the wee side streets closed off. There's something going on. The cops are there. So we're walking past the cops. And the cops stand there with a the mask on and goes, oh, there's Mickey Bartlett. And, and, and he starts talking to Mickey Bartlett. Mickey's all, oh, what about you? Daniel? He doesn't know who he is. And he's like, oh, yeah, Daniel. And walked on, walked on. And I'm just like, oh, and there's Andy McGibbon, fucking Scotch mist. No one knows who he is walking beside Mickey fucking Bartlett. <laughs> In my own fucking hometown, I was never fucking mortified. I was about fucking 500 metres from the front door. Fucking prick didn't know me. <laughs> I, I, I actually remember Mickey telling that, that, telling that story on the podcast. I think it was. Oh, yeah, he told us in the podcast. And I think that the, the, the encounter story is still your thunder, Mickey. Um, but the, the, the police officer was like, oh, how fast can you go on them bad boys? And he was uh, like, it depends how fast you can shoot, big man. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was it. I know. So, yeah. So, and, th- and that's the thing. That's, that's the thing of fucking about this business. About, I would say, you know, in entertainment business in general. Is you, you you don't you don't allow yourself to get for your head to get too big at any one at any time because you will uh, the the universe will have a way of dragging you back down to earth oh uh, rather okay. quickly yeah you know so if you if you get recognised and you're feeling a bit good about yourself by the end of the day something would have happened to fucking kick you squarely in the balls to let oh, you uh, know that you're mortal yeah you know and and. And that's true. I mean, I could tell you a story about that as well. We played, we played, I would say the first big gig the Bonneville's ever played, we played um, Glastonbury, or not Glastonbury, Glasgowbury, sorry, Glastonbury, <laughs> Glasgowbury. Uh, it's not on anymore. Mm-hmm. They're up in the, up in the Spurrens, yes. with Eagle Rock. Mm-hmm. And so we'd been booked to play, and then a friend of ours over in Dunfanaghy in Donegal had said, why didn't you, or was it Phil Cara? It's one of the two, doesn't panic here, Phil Cara. So come over and play a gig. I'll get you a gig in the local bar. Mm-hmm. And sure, you're playing the festival in the afternoon. Drive for an hour. You'll be with us. Hang out with us. Play the gig. Hang out. We'll drink till the sun comes up. We'll have a great time. Let's do that. So we'll go and play the festival. Uh, and we're in the tent. There's a side tent. But you can get about, you get, there's like, Maybe five hundred people in this thing. It's a big, massive thing, and we're in it. Fairly early-ish, I, off the top of my head, it's around five o'clock, six o'clock, something like that. I can't remember. It's daylight anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big stage is going on down here, down in the valley, a little bit, and we're playing this. Tent. The tent is fucking rammed. Class. Now, bear in mind, we haven't played a big gig. That, I mean, our first album is out. Maybe our second album is out at this point. We've never played a big gig in Ireland. We've never we we're still you know we don't as at that point that we are aware of, we don't have much of a reputation. Mm-hmm. We're playing small issue venues. You know we would never book the limelight or anything like that. At that point, it wouldn't be in our in our in our heads to do it. Um, and the place is fucking bouncing. 
Oh, no, the whole really. place, there's hundreds of people singing our music back at us. And we're going, we didn't even know this many people knew we existed. Never mind knew our music. We walked up the stage. It was so, it was great. I remember there's a, there's a great photograph, a guy called Tom. Oh, shit. I've, his name is God forgive me for, for not remembering his surname. Um, it'll come to me. And there was, he got it. I fucked the guitar up into the air. I'll show you the guitar. There's it there. Unreal. It's a little shit. I call it a shit, shit caster because it's just bits of shit that I got off eBay and buckled together. Unreal. And I have fucked it and tried to kill it a million times and it won't die. So now I love it and I, I look after it. But Tom, I fucked the, 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 the vibe was that, it was that good. I fucked the guitar up into the earth, the, the last song, it smashed onto the ground and had all the echoes on and blah, 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 making all this great noise. And I was just walking, I said, hey, good night, everybody. Thanks very much. Tom got a photograph of me letting go of the guitar, with the guitar sailing through the air. And Tom was a guitar player in the Woodburn and Savages. And he quit the band to become a professional photographer because of that photograph. He entered it into a competition mm-hmm. and it won a competition. And because he, he'd always wanted to do, be a photographer, yep. but he'd never, he never had the impetus to do it. And that was the photograph that gave him the the, 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 the the guts, if you want, to finally go, that's it, I'm going to go and be a photographer. And he left the band, which I'm sorry about the, the Paul and all because of that, but, <laughs> but that's what happened. So we walked off the stage. Oh, my God, we were in fucking cloud nine. We were, we were rock stars. We'd arrived. We literally sucked each other's dicks the whole way to fucking Falchara. <laughs> About how fucking great we were. We're yeah, that's we're never going back. We're the best band in fucking Ireland. Wait till they get a load of us. And we went and played in Falkara. And as soon as we started playing, the first note, the whole room stood up and walked out into the smoking area. Fuck. Literally to to a fucking man. And then which was bad enough. And then we were where we were set up on, the, it was only a bar, so we were set up in the corner of the bar, but you had to pass us to go to the toilet. Mm-hmm. So the boys, not only did they not like us, we fucking angered them because they were kicking the bass drum on the way past in anger. They hated us. <laughs> and we'd been playing, we'd played Glasgowberry that three or four hours before, and fucking we're on the riding high, man. We were just, oh my god, we were feeling so good about ourselves. And then three or four hours later, we're sitting there, and we're lucky to get out without getting in that fight. Is the God's honest truth? Because they fucking, did. it's not that they didn't like us; they fucking hated us, literally hated us, and. I don't, I don't, uh, yeah. I don't get why then, though. Like I don't, <laughs> just. <laughs> I, I don't know why the band, the bar, fucking booked us. But I remember, I used to play in a cover band, doing blues covers, and it can be a bit like that, you know, where you just, you know, you, the, the venue books a band, seemingly because they have to. They, they don't seem really seem to want to. They, mm-hmm. So they just book any fucking band. Yeah. So you end up getting booked, and you're not, you know, you're like, oh Jesus, we shouldn't be playing here, and. It's, you have to grind your teeth to get through the set. I'm sure the audience is the same, but as a musician, you're definitely like that. You're like, oh, it's, it's just, like, it's just, just not as enjoyable, like, is it? Like, you're, you're, oh, it's not enjoyable. Like, like band, not ba- enjoyable bands, at all. Bands work off their environment and their audience, like, so if, if you go in and it's fucking shite and fucking dirty and dry, you're like, fuck this, I can't be arsed. Oh, like, com- oh, your, your, your performance takes a hit too, like. Oh, completely, absolutely. It does. But that was the thing that, 
um, I remember I dug into that to those days of playing in a cover for, cover band to get through that gig mm-hmm. because we wanted paid. Yeah, we were to get paid, and if we'd have walked off, if we went fuck this, where I'm not doing this shit because we'd been high all day on the experience at Glasgowbury. Thank God, thank God, you finished that sentence. <laughs> you were like, but we're high all day. Yeah, right. But if if we'd have kept that sort of I'm a fucking rock star attitude, would have walked off the stage after 20 minutes and went, I'm not fucking doing this. And and you'd have been, yeah, maybe you'd have been entitled to do it, I don't know, whatever, but it's not my, it's not my uh, makeup to do it. So I just dug into those days of no fucking, because Chris was looking at me, he's going, should we just pull it? And I went, no, we're fucking finishing it. I want paid. Fuck it. <laughs> you know? So... With, yeah. with, with 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 my podcast, I get a lot of, like wild fucking stories sent in. Like I mean, wild stories that are enormously read out. So one one recently that I got there that I'll read out in the next podcast is about a guy. His roommate was pissing him off, and he decided to wipe his arse on his bread, and he thought it was Nutella. So what, what my what my <laughs> what just for his roommate, right? I know wild fucking. <laughs> I made him a sandwich now, fucking. Like, you should hear these things that I get fucking sent. Like, see my phone? I would need to burn my phone. I'm not even joking. <laughs> the fucking wild stories that I get sent in. Because, like, I have some wild stories too that I tell that are legit things that have happened to me. And people try and be like, made my stories better. And fucking, can you read this out in the podcast? Like, my, com- my the community yeah. I have is fucking dark. But what I've, what the question I have to ask you is, what's the wildest <laughs> thing you've seen on tour? Oh, fuck. Wildest thing on tour? Um, I think we're fucking. I'm trying to think of something. I've, I've never like uh, what you would expect, like the rock and roll stories and the yeah. the mythology that that grows up around rock and roll. It doesn't happen really because you're working, you know, and like we don't go to fucking wild parties and we don't, and people invite you, you don't go because you want to go to bed so that you can get up and go drive the next day to go and to go to work. Yeah. It, it sounds really boring as fuck. I know it is, but that's the, that's the reality. And if you have this, you know, get fucked up every night, like what would we did at the start? I mean, maybe we did at the start, you know, you would, you would, but you would be paying for that for the rest of the fucking tour. So then after a few times of doing that, you would, you would, you would go. No, I'm not. I'm not doing this. I'm not. I'm not doing this because you're just fucking exhausted all all day and all yeah. night. And then at the end of the day, like, I mean, at the end of the day, you're only playing a gig. So you're. I mean, although it's great and all the rest of it, it's only an hour, an hour, depending on. It could be if it's a support slot or if it's at a festival. It could be forty minutes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. you're suffering all day just to get to that forty minutes to, to dial in the fucking performance, and then so. You've 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 got to be sort of you've got to be on the ball. I, would, I mean, the wildest things that have ever happened to us is things that we've done to ourselves. You know, like Chris <laughs> losing all the merch and his passports and all Wait, that. He, 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 lo- he lost and, the merch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How the fuck do you yeah, that? No way. <laughs> well, he, well, I tell you, that there, <laughs> so it was one of our first tours. Yeah. Again, this is what I'm saying. But, but you know, this stuff doesn't really happen to us. Fucking touch wood anymore. <laughs> So, at the so we were planning we were playing a tour. Uh, it was around the Netherlands and Belgium and sort of northern France, that sort of area. And so we flew in to Amsterdam, 
and we were to we were to go we got a gig in Rotterdam. So but our gear, we were picking up all our gear in Ghent. So Amsterdam's fairly north, Ghent's fairly south, yeah. Rotterdam's very north. So the first gig was in Rotterdam. So I contacted the burger. I said, listen, is there gear in the venue that we can use? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, there's amps and drum kits and all here. There's various. And he told us what was there. I said, I bet we'll do. So we got a train up down to Rotterdam. So all we had with us carrying was our suitcase full of merch mm-hmm. and our personal luggage, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the idea being we were going to get a train up to Rotterdam, play the gig, and then get a train from Rotterdam down to Ghent the next day, pick up the van with the proper tour gear in it, and then carry on with, with the tour. So <clears throat> we played the gig. It was fine. Uh, sitting outside afterwards, a lovely, lovely, lovely evening in in, in Holland. Uh, sitting having a couple of beers with some of the people that were at the gig. You know, like literally sitting at a cafe table having a beer, yeah. just just relaxing, chillaxing. It's getting close to midnight. Our fucking accommodation is almost within fucking, you can almost see it. It's just around the corner. If the road was straight, you would have been able to see it. It's like three or 400 meters away. Chris says, listen, I've hooked up with a load of, load of ones here. He says, they're all going to this nightclub. I'm going to go with them. I says, well, do you fancy coming, leaving the, your, all your stuff? Because he's got the merch. I said, do you fancy leaving the merch and your stuff? In the venue, or so in the accommodation, mm-hmm. it's a, it's like an apartment that the, the, the guy that owns the venue owns the the, the venue. It's, a, it's an apartment that he has four bands. Yeah, and uh, he says it'll be all right. He says I'm just going to go for an hour. We'll be fine. I says well, it's up to yourself. I says but you can literally walk down there and be back here in three or four minutes and not have to carry a big fucking suitcase for him all night. He says I'm only going to be an hour anyway. I says don't worry about it. I mean, that'll do. So I go back to the apartment. Have a sitting supping on a beer, whatever, talking to my wife. It's one in the morning, fall asleep. <laughs> I wake up, but six hours later, Chris is standing over me. <laughs> He's crying. <laughs> <laughs> He's crying, right? Yeah. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> he tells, Holy fuck. Oh my God, he says, I've been walking around Rotterdam all night. I couldn't find a fucking place. <laughs> hey man, what, what, what happened? What happened? So it turns out he goes to the fucking, the, 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 the nightclub, right? Mm-hmm. Chris, if you ever, if you know Chris, if you've ever seen him in the nightclub, he, Chris doesn't just stand and have a drink. Chris just bombs straight onto the dance floor. Whoop, whoop, giving starts fucking giving it all, giving it stacks. He's just, that's just who he is and it's brilliant. He throws the fucking suitcase up into the, the, the cloak room, I guess, whatever it is. <laughs> Goes and does the thing. Has a shit ton of drinks, hanging out with all these women and just having a great whole time. Walks out of, geez, forget that, walks out of the nightclub, he gets four or five in the morning. Walks out, he's walking around the streets by himself. Realizes he hasn't got his coat, hasn't got the merch, hasn't got the nothing. Doesn't know where the nightclub is. Can't fucking retrace the steps. Can't find it. Standing in the middle of a street and realizes that he no clue where he is. Doesn't know what he hasn't got a phone. Hasn't got any. He's got a couple of pounds and a couple of euros in his pocket. That's it. He phones. <laughs> the only number he can remember off the top of his head is his ex girlfriend. Oh fuck. Jen. 
<laughs> Phones his ex-girlfriend, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's all fucked up. I'm in I don't know where I am. What I'm doing? I'm lost. I've no money. I can't fight. Blah blah blah. blah. J- runs out of money. The phone goes dead. Burp. Fucking Jen phones his mum, <laughs> who is now up in Bambridge, fucking walking the floorboards, consumed with fucking worry, thinking that her that, that her youngest son is 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 about to be fucking press ganged into a fucking into the white slave trade. <laughs> he's walking around. He's walking around. He's walking around fucking Rotterdam. He's pure luck. Stumbles onto the street and, and something spot. He goes, oh, I recognise this place, and he fucking he manages it, and he and that's when he eventually finds his way back to the apartment. Yeah. Purely by look, purely by accident, literally purely by accident, and that's when he wakes me up. So I said, "Listen, go to fucking bed, go to sleep, get a couple hours sleep. We'll get up in the morning, and we'll, 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 we can we can fix nothing now." So <clears throat> a couple hours later, we get up, make I make him a coffee, wake him up with a coffee. What's the crack? Tell me, and he tells me the story. So, so, I says, so, so where's the merch? And he says it's all gone. He says I, I don't know where the fuck it is, right? So, we go. We, we, we said, right, we'll go and get some breakfast. We'll go and find somewhere. We'll get some breakfast. We'll sit down, and we'll maybe you'll remember. Maybe we'll, you'll we'll, we'll retrace your steps. He can't, he can't remember the names of the people. Can't remember the name of the bar. He doesn't. He he, he can remember. Fuck all. He was completely fucked. He was just slamming fucking gold slagger as soon as he walked into the fucking place. It, it fucking reminds me of it reminds me of the movie The Hangover, where they're trying to retrace their steps to try and find the fucking merch. <laughs> did did, did you that check that the happened. roof? <laughs> <laughs> I was the god. We did. We had to find the fuck. So we we we, we are fucking. We, we were kind of keeping one eye on 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 social media, such as it was back in the day, um, expecting. Mm-hmm. A load of fucking Bonneville's t-shirts to turn up in Rotterdam, because that was our money. That was where we were making our wages. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you know your your fees sort of cover your traveling and whatever. But then you, if you sell a lot of merch, you go home with money. So we went yeah. home broke. <laughs> and then oh, it got worse. So then, so we left Rotterdam. He had fuck all. I have a photograph. I could have, if I had known I was going to tell you the story, I could show you the photograph. There's a photograph of him wearing one of my t-shirts because. He lost his own suitcase as well. So we'd go to a fucking store and buy him a couple of cheap t-shirts the next yeah. day. And so th- then we played, we played in Ghent that night. So we uh-huh. got to Ghent, but we just went, we just, fuck it, just write it off. Don't worry about it. So we'll go to Ghent. He didn't, and so he, the only thing he had in his pockets, thank God, he kept his passport on a couple of, a couple of quid. That's what he had in his pocket. Mm. So we go to Ghent, we're playing this venue and he hangs a coat He's a coat, and he hangs it up on a hook. His passport's in the fucking pocket, and then leaves the venue that night without the fucking coat. And we're driving to the gig the next night, in oh, I don't even know. I don't even know where it is. It's somewhere else in Belgium. We're about an hour and a half down the road, and he's sitting in the passenger seat, and he, he goes, "Jesus, my fucking passport!" Hey, well, what do you mean? And he says, "Jesus, I've lost. I think I've left it in that venue last night." So I'm on the phone to my mate in Ghent. John, John, run round to the venue. And fucking Chris's coat might be still hanging on a hook in the dressing room. So so John's his mod. He jumps on this wee scooter and goes fucking turn around the street to Ghent. Gets round there real quick, as quick as he can. Runs in. He knows the owner. He says, the guy's left something last night. Runs back, grabs the coat. 
and in the pocket is Chris's passport. John phones me back straight away. He says, he says, you're fucking lucky. He says, because the guy that owns that bar is renowned for stealing bands' passports. They didn't sell them on the black market, you see? Fucking hell. So, if he'd have known that that pa- pa- passport was in there, there's no fucking way you'd have it back. <laughs> see, so, <laughs> we ended up having to drive back to fucking Ghent to get the passport. That was, so, that was Chris. It's all, so, all, all our stories like that are all to do with Chris. <laughs> Good brilliant. You, so, you're, you're, you're going to go back to Rotterdam some, some year for a tour, and you're going to see all these fucking t-shirts everywhere, people wearing them. You're like, How the, where the fuck? Do, I haven't seen those in years. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Where the fuck do you get that there? That's it, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What 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 venue would you kill to play? Oh, I've, I've done it. I've done it. I've played um, Junior Kimber's Duke Joint in in Holly Springs in Mississippi. Wow. Um, that would have been, and you know, that would have been bucket list. Sort of, we got part of that festival, in Mississippi. Mm. Uh, we got an invite to play that. And awesome. I was just in fucking cloud nine. We walked in, so we got, it was a part of the, the festival. They had a thing called, uh, what do they call it? The the Benefactor's Ball. Mm-hmm. So the festival, you know when they do the early release of tickets? Yeah, you yeah, can yeah. Because, So they, they, the first tickets are really expensive, so it can be like $500 a ticket or whatever, but you get the, your name on the T-shirt or um, something, you're a benefactor. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so a part of that is, they have the, what they call the benefactors ball. So they said, what we're going to do is we want to have a gig in Junior Kimber's Duke Joint in Holly Springs, Mississippi. And this is the home of North. This is like fucking Heartland, North Mississippi, Hill Country Blues. This is R.L. Burnside, uh, Junior Kimber. Uh, it just it, it just blues history. You know, everybody, everybody, Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, Harlan Wolf, all were connected with this place, lived there or whatever, or, or passed through the place. Mm-hmm. But they're all connected. So this is heartland for me. So they were going to have, they were going to have a, 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 a benefactor's ball. Whatever musicians are in town for the festival, will will all come out to the benefactor's ball and they'll play this just impromptu. Just, just they, might, they might do stuff together. They might just whatever. They might, we'll, we'll see. And you get to be a part of that if, as a benefactor. So we flew in to Chicago, got a, uh, we landed in Chicago whatever time, we got a connecting flight down to Memphis, and then we got a hire car, and we had to drive from Memphis into the hotel. Mm. But the guy that was booking the fest, this was on the, the thir- Thursday night, the guy that was booking the thing said, if you get in on time, to get to get to Holly Springs, and I, there's no fucking way I wasn't, I was missing that, that was, I was in heaven, mm-hmm. even being invited to go, to oh, be no. in the, never mind, play it. And it's just a, it's a strip mall. It's just a strip mall in the state of Rio. It's a shithole. But everybody's played there. Mm-hmm. It's just steeped in this history. So uh, we did the thing, got the hotel, threw our bags in, and then with a quick 20-minute drive across, and we're 15 minutes, and we arrived, and there it was. Junior Kimber's joint sitting in the side of the road. Couldn't believe it. Walk, walked up all we were a bit sheepish, you know. We don't we don't know who we didn't know any if we would know anybody or if anybody would know us. And we walked into the fucking room and all these somebody just shouts, hey, "It's the fucking Bonneville!" Yes. Shouts from and we don't, we don't know who it is and they recognised us when we walked in. We're like, "Oh, this is." And we went and stood in the corner and then people started to come over to us that we did know, and it was great. And it's certain then, and then someone says, "Are you going to play a set?" 
I said, Kim, where are you living? Is that, is, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Just go up there. So there was a guy called Ruben Glazer. Story about him. He didn't know this, but he used to play in a band called Perline. And whenever all those Detroit Garrett's bands and all those bands were coming across from America, at the start of the noughties, so the 2002, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 2000, 2004, 5-ish, he was one of those bands. I think he was supporting the sites or someone like that with this band called Perline, and they were fucking great. And they only released one album, and it didn't happen for them. I don't know for what reason. And I remember them. They played in Aunt Annie's, which is now the Five Points, I think it's called, the Points or something in Belfast. Yeah. Uh, so the, it used to be called Aunt Annie's. So they played there, and I saw them there, and I remembered them, and they were fucking amazing. And they did that, they did that blues thing, but they rocked it up, but in a really groovy way. Not in a fucking stupid pub band way, a proper, <laughs> like, like keep, keeping it real way, but bringing something new to it. Something very much I would have hoped that the Bonneville has become. Yeah. But he was on, I said, I said is that, who's that there playing? And he said, that's, that's Ruben Glazer. He's playing the festival tomorrow. And, and I was racking my brain because the name rung a bell and I, I didn't get it immediately. Yeah. I went, okay. I said, I'm pretty fucking sure I know who that is. So anyway, he finishes set. We go up on stage and play. And Chris says, what what we're going to play? I said, fuck, I don't know. We just started calling a couple of our songs. And then after two or three songs, I got a bit comfortable. We were going down well. We were playing where people were enjoying it. And I said, listen, let's play Poor Boy. So we released Poor Boy as a single there a few months ago. But Poor Boy is an original North North Mississippi uh, Hill Country blues tune from like an it goes no one knows when it was written but it goes back years and years a hundred years but the version that we're sort of emulating or tra- that, that, that is the R.L. Burnside version R.L. Burnside lived and died in Holly Springs Mississippi the legend mm. so I said let's play poor boy and Chris goes fuck really do you think so and I went fuck it I said listen we're here we're, we're, we're in the middle of it we don't get any more central. If we're going to, you know, it's, now's the time to put the big boy pants on big and time. see if we're full of shit or not. <laughs> and he said, right, let's do it. So we started the play, and I, I'll never forget it. <laughs> it was the best thing ever. Just because it was the kitchen out the back, you see. Uh-huh. And all, all these big, I'm, going to, I'm, 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 I'm not being, I'm not being derisive in any way. Yeah. These big black women came out of the kitchen and started dancing. Class. Well, we were playing our version of Poor Boy and I just died and went to fucking heaven. I just oh, died man. and went to heaven. It was, for me, it was just the best fuck. The, 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 the idea that you weren't fake, although we are fake because we're not from there, but you know what I mean? And mm. There's a cultural appropriation bullshit <laughs> argument, but, you know, there's all that. So uh, that was my, with day, as again, Finished our set. These guys got up and jammed with us. These people that we'd never met didn't know who they were, and they come up. Can I play the bass? Can I play the guitar? Yes, that's and, we, and that's the way it goes. It's like very like a session, mm-hmm. but everyone just jams, and uh, we, we ended up doing that in Holly Springs, and it was just the best thing ever. So, the next day, Ruben Glazer is playing a set, and I go and see him, and because the festival is in, there's a couple of different stages. It's only small. It's, a, it's what they call a boutique festival. Yeah. But won't see him, and he's fucking absolutely brilliant. And then I remembered who he was, 
So I he was sitting in the corner on his own, and he was sort of he, he has this sort of hangdog look about him now, nowadays. He was very rock and roll star back when I saw him, but yeah. over over a decade and a half, we'd, life had maybe beat him up a wee bit, and. He was sitting there, and he, he was he was perfectly fine. He was perfectly lovely, like. But I went up. He says, "Hey, Ruben, do you mind if I can I buy you a drink?" And he went, "Aye, sure." I sat down with him, and I told him, he "says By the way, I saw you when you played in Belfast with Perlene awesome. in two thousand and whatever it was." And he went, and he just lit up. He went, "What? Fuck off!" I said, "You used to play in Perlene, right? You're a Perlene." And he went, "Yeah." And he just completely, he just, I started to talk to him about it. And he, was, and then he just completely just, we sat and spent a lot of time in each other's company, went for dinner and all later on the next day and hung out with each other as much as we could. And then he took off. But um, yeah, so there you go. That's <laughs> class. I, I, I would have thought you would have said the, the troubadour. The, oh, the troubadour. Aye. Yeah. Aye. No. I don't, I mean, all those venues, I'll be honest with you. If you were, go, if you were saying, I mean, I've played the places that are, you know, like releasing our albums and doing album launches in, in the in the limelight. Because mm-hmm. I grew up going to the limelight. Yeah. I've seen fucking dozens and dozens of great, great bands, you know, and and, and then we're starting doing, that. that's the thrill for me. Because yeah. is that direct, I mean, the Troubadour and all those, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of venues across, famous venues across the world I would love to play and of course, but they're not, I have no connection to them. Yeah, I even know what sort of way I'm mingling in, possibly. You know, but, you know, the, 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 the Junior Kimber's Duke joint, I have a spiritual connection to it. The limelight, I have an actual connection to yeah. it. And, yeah, yeah, You know, and all that sort of stuff. And so I would say I've played a fair amount of them, really, that, that I really would, would have wanted to. Yeah, well, see with COVID and stuff, has your musical sort of expertise sort of dropped over the last two or three week lockdown, I should say? <laughs> you know, two year lockdown? Have you been writing much music or have you got the stage? Like Val Mick said that he, himself that he didn't touch his violin for like six months at one stage because of, of COVID. Have you, have you felt the same? I was, I, well, it was so funny. I was talking to my cousin as well, there, Barry. He's a Barry Cure. He's a trad musician and he's a multi instrumentalist. and a a painter and artist and everything. He's very sickeningly talented. And but he um he's a piper and a flute player and all sorts of things. But he was the same. He says he never took his flutes out of his box for fucking six months at one point. But and you need the with those instruments you need the you need to keep going with those. You need to push yeah. on. Yeah. So yeah, th- there's been long periods of doing fuck all and for me I wouldn't the, the, the technical stuff around playing the guitar, I'm not really too much too bothered about because I don't think I'm the world's greatest guitar player anyway. Technique isn't the thing for me. The thing is songwriting. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been writing. And it will show in the whenever I start writing. I'm starting to get into it now. And it's starting to come out now. It's starting to, I'm starting to see um, the muscle memory is a little bit um, forgetful. Yeah. And, <laughs> and all sorts of, you know, so the things that you would kind of just, you would rely on that you've built up over your life mm-hmm. to, to, to help you find that lyric, or help you find that riff, or help you find that whatever it, yeah. as you're writing. It, um, it, it hasn't been, it's not there. But I've been here before. So I've gone through periods where I haven't written before and I've found myself uh, not impressed with what I'm putting out, mm-hmm. with, with what I'm writing. 
So the way I got through that was, I, re- I remember, uh, I'm a great believer, there's, Picasso has a saying, it's a quote from him, he says, inspiration will find you, but it must find you working. Yes. So yeah. it's okay to write, just write, write shit. If you have to write shit, don't release it. Don't let anybody see it or listen to it. But it's okay to write shit, but just keep. So if I, once I settle into the flow of it, it'll be junk. Mm-hmm. But then eventually you'll get to that point where you go, oh, that's good. Yeah. You know, and that could take weeks. It could take months, maybe. But you got to keep going. You know, so yeah. Because yeah. so I'm not, I'm not very worried about it. No, you shouldn't make your music class. Um, see, see, oh. with my podcast. You know, I, I started, I started the podcast only four months ago, but I, I was putting it off for a year. I was going to start at the very beginning of lockdown, but then somebody just said to me, right. like, it was nerves and stuff, and people, like, I, had yeah. no, I had no real inspiration or anything to fucking just go for it. So I just said, fuck, I'll record one on my phone. Did it. It was shite. It was fucking dirt. Sent it to Casey, and Casey gave yep. me a few pointers and stuff, and. You know, I think fucking shout to Casey, but only, only, only for fucking doing that podcast. I, 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 I fucking, I don't think I'd be here. Like to be honest, not even joking. The fucking the COVID life is just oh, absolutely, me that much. Like, but, 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 but that, but, but that's the thing. I mean, um, um, the you, no one arrives anywhere fully formed. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're getting involved in the creative process. And you ha- if you're a creative, which you obviously are, you mm-hmm. have to be creative. There's, there's something in you mm-hmm. that's demanding heard. There's a voice. Yep. And you, I think a lot of the problem is with, with, with people is that this, they see the finished product with other people. And because their first effort isn't as good as that, it puts them off. Mm-hmm. But that's not how creative creativity works. Yeah. And if you're if you're a creative person and you need to express yourself, like I, I remember, <clears throat> I have a couple of kids, and I, I mean I used to coach kids. I'm a cyclist and all that, and I used to coach these. I used to coach various clubs and all that. And I remember, I remember, um, as much as you're coaching kids, you're mentoring them, mm-hmm. and they would come and talk to you, and they would, they would and I, I always remember. My advice to them would be this when it comes to certain situations. You don't need to know what it is that you want. Mm-hmm. But if you know what you don't want, that's a starting point. Brilliant. Because you can, you can eliminate. You can go, right, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm facing that direction or this direction. Mm-hmm. But I know I don't want to go there. Well, that's, that's enough. That's enough. That's your first step. That's fine. Do that. If you're writing, if you're an artist, if you're a musician, if you're a podcaster or a creative in some other way, you don't need to know what it is you want. I've done my own podcast. I've changed the name of it. It took me two years or more to get to this day where I am with this politics and culture and some other. Yeah. It took me two years to get there, to go, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. And I stopped and started and I had gaps where I didn't do nothing for fucking weeks, which is a mistake. You have to do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the point. You don't need to know what it is that you want. Mm-hmm. But if you know what you don't want, that's good enough. Brilliant. Start with that. Yeah. Yeah, see, because see, I started three, four months ago, and I've, re- I've re- brought out two episodes every week consistently, so I have since then. I've never I've never missed it. Like, 
Like the, like, consistency, yeah. I see, I see myself getting more creative, and like I'm trying to get up, and, and I'm sort of, I would say, I'm now in the stand of comedy scene as well. They're doing a couple of local, yeah. local like open mics and stuff. I, I see, oh, I, I see myself getting more creative and doing things. Like I'm, I'm always writing fucking jokes down. I, I find myself scarring and trying to like recent news and stuff to see what can jump out at me and be like, I can take the piss out of it. Yeah. I reckon I can get a laugh out there. And even, and see, <laughs> yeah. see, even just telling stories to people and work of things that I've thought of. I'm getting a reaction from yeah. them. I'm like, well, fuck that's, that. That works, you know. I've, yeah. I've got, I've got fucking so more, so much more creative. But I listened to the recent episode there with Darren Matthews. You did about the GAA. Mm. Brilliant episode. Mm. So it was fucking fantastic. Thank you. It's something that I would love to get into myself. Um, but remember, he was saying that Jordan Robinson was trying to blag tickets off a fella. Yes, that was me. <laughs> 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 So it was, so it was, oh shit, brilliant, yeah, brilliant. I've, 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 I'm, Protest- I'm a Protestant, like, but a lot of Catholic friends high up in the in the GAA series. A fella, <laughs> Lorkey Martin, he's actually a RTE radio uh, commentator, so he is, for, for all the local GAA oh, right. games. So very was, good, was, very was, good, I, very that's, good. That's how I was correlating with to try and get him tickets, so it was, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what, brilliant. What's, what's your vision for your podcast? Where, where, what, what, what else have you got coming up? Because I, I, I do, I listen to yours regularly, so I do. I'm not fully up to date, oh, but I'm you. getting there. Oh no, no. Well, I mean, the, the 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 point of the podcast for me starting. I mean, I have, I am an advocate for a United Ireland, for a New Ireland. That's my vision. That's what I would like to see, and it, you know, and it means a New Ireland. It means something for everybody, for us all. Mm. Whatever that means, I don't know. Yeah. Everybody has to have a say in it. Everyone has to have a voice. So I'm advocating for that. That's what I want. And that means loyalists and it means unionists and it means every, everybody has to have a fucking voice. It's essential. Because yeah. we know whenever, you, in, especially in, 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 the, in, the, in the northern bit that we live in, we know whenever people become disenfranchised what has happened in the past. So we want to avoid that at all costs, obviously. Mm. So the podcast for me, is partly that I'm advocating for that because I want, uh, I, I, as I said, I want to advocate for change, but I want to advocate for an inclusive change mm-hmm. for everybody to be involved. Yeah. I have my own ideas. I have my own. What does Ireland look like to Andy McGibbon in an ideal world? Well, that's what I think. But there's so many other people out there that completely disagree with me, but mm-hmm. they're going to have to have a fucking voice. Yeah. They have, their opinion has to count. Everybody has to contribute, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. And I'm I'm a big I'm a big believer in in that that it give a little take a little. It, I believe that this is where we're gonna we should find our way into the middle ground. Now that's kind of weird because I'm a socialist mm-hmm. and I'm also advocating for socialism. Mm-hmm. So I'm a I, I believe that the, the modern neoliberal ultra capitalist world that we live in if we want to look around us with the climate change that's going on at the minute, it's all driven by capitalism. Mm. It's a, you know, as I say, the forest only has value to the capitalist when he cuts it down. And that's literally where we are. Mm. You know, that's a metaphor for so many things, but it's actually a metaphor for fucking reform, why, why we should reforest and rewild the planet a little bit. But so those two things are mainly where I'm kind of coming from. I don't expect, to be able to, I don't expect to be a big voice. I don't expect to have, but if I have, I'm, I'm, 
much like yourself, people contact you and they send you messages and, this, you know, and, and reaching out and whatever. And there's times where I couldn't be fucking bothered. I'm going, I just don't want to do this anymore mm. because it, I'd rather just write my music and just get on with yeah. the music. But I do get messages from people who are saying, thanks for, for, for vocalizing maybe what I'm thinking a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I disagree with you, but I appreciate your approach and I like what you're saying and sort of things like that. Mm. And it's not, don't get me wrong, I'm getting hundreds of these messages. I'm getting messages, a couple of messages, maybe a few a week. And for and that's why I'm that's why I'm continuing doing it. So the vision for the podcast is just to advocate. I just want to advocate for for change, for reconciliation, for peace, all that fucking groovy hippie stuff. Mm. And for socialism, I am a socialist. I believe socialism is the future. It has to be. I believe that it has to be the future because capitalism is going to see this planet turn into a fucking ball of fire. Yep. And and so, um. That's as far as the podcast goes, and, and then there's the culture part of it as well. So, so throwing the culture part of it, so it was all about politics and socialism. And then I would try and I, I started out by doing sort of record recommends or a book recommends and all this at the end of the podcast. So then when I changed it to politics and culture and some other shit, mm-hmm. that kind of covers it for me. Yeah, it so I get to talk about the cultural aspect. Mm-hmm. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. It could recently I've been talking a lot about. Cal- culture, Irish culture, Neolithic Ireland. Yesterday I was talking about, oh, I must tell you, so on Wednesday's podcast, I talk about Irish vampires. There's an Irish, yes. va- there's, a, there's a couple of, there's a couple of Irish vampire myths that, and, and the, 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 the main one is, is a, is a character called Abertach. Mm-hmm. Wait till you hear this. This is fucking brilliant. <laughs> so Abertach, Abertach is from around the Dungiven sort of, what would be the done given? That's the the the, the traditional what we're we're hit with this guy hangs out, and he's basically I won't bore you. You can listen to the podcast if you feel mm. like it. Yeah. Um. Um. It's an Irish vampire myth, right? So he comes back from the dead, and they have to bury him upside down, and there's like this cairn, and and this local druid says you have to bury him upside. He comes back, and they bury the local chieftain buries him upside down, and then that he stays in his grave then. Yeah. So they bury a cairn on top of him or a big stone or whatever it is. And that cairn is still there. And Sarah, I was saying on the podcast, Sarah O'Neill, the artist, contacted me saying, I, was, I found the fucking, I know where that cairn is. So if you're ever up here, I'll show you where it is or yeah. tell you where to go. So so that's great. So roll back a couple of years. The Bonnevilles, Gay contacts us. Connor Keezy's mate, uh, Connor, uh, uh, what's it, Chris, Chris Baugh. Uh, he contacts us out of the blue. He said, I'd love to use one of your songs for a film that I'm making. Yes, I, sure I know what we've all about, yeah. Aye, so it was the boys from County Hell. Yes, yeah. So that's about that's about Abertach, the, the vampire, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. So I'm talking about Abertach, the vampire. So I say, well, I'm, obviously I have to bring in the boys from County Hell as I'm talking about the subject. I play the trailer on the podcast. and says, not that. Chris asks us, it goes to the record because our record labels in Los Angeles. They, it, that song was on our last album mm-hmm. called Long Runs the Fox. The song they negotiate with the, the record label. The record label agree on whatever fees are paid. Those guys use the song for the movie. Brilliant. We're delighted, right? Mm-hmm. Then the movie's about to be released. Then the fucking COVID lockdown happens, and they can't get to do 
the red carpet thing and they can't get the release it into the cinema because it was supposed to go into the cinema and all. Yeah. It was a, prop, it's a pr- proper movie. Like, oh. w- when someone from here contacts you and says, can we use your music for a movie? You, you sort of have a student production in your head, you know what I mean? You think yeah. that that's what it's going to be. Yeah. But this is not that. This is a proper fucking movie. There's a budget here and they've got, you know, it's a, re- it's a real deal. So we're very, so when we find out, we're like, oh, fuck me, brilliant, absolutely fantastic. We watched the movie. They sent us a link to watch it. They have an online premiere. Couldn't believe how good it was. Fucking fantastic. Over the moon. Delighted to be involved. That's it. End of fucking... This is last year. So I do the podcast on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Right? Mention about... Talking about Irish vampires. Talking about the boys from County Hell, the movie. Mm-hmm. Right? What's in the inbox and about, about how these guys never got to do the red carpet premiere, COVID, the bastard. What's in the fucking inbox the next day, Thursday? I could fucking send you the email. Lads, we're having a red carpet premiere in Belfast on the 4th of August and would love for you to come. Brilliant. Unbelievable. So he says, absolutely. So that's next week. Absolutely will be there. So my wife's running around currently looking at dress because <laughs> she's coming. <laughs> we're going to do the whole thing. And, and I'm, as I said in the, in the wee tweet, I said, I'm not saying it's fairies, but it was fairies. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, th- geez, we're recording an hour and 15 minutes there so far. We'll, we'll wrap this up here. Oh, fuck. Um, uh, yep, yep. For, for fuck's sake, everything you're doing, fucking brilliant. I, I, your music's fucking sensational. Keep producing, keep doing what you're doing. Especially with podcasts as well. Fucking keep banging those oh, podcasts fuck. out. They're fucking brilliant. But yeah, thank, here, you. thank you very much for coming on. That that was fucking brilliant. Much appreciated. No bar. No bar. Appreciated. And good, good. Uh, no you, lesson. Well done, Dave. Have, have you got any gigs coming up? Well, the gig on Saturday night coming is the first one since New Year's, New Year's Eve 2019, 2020. We played in Belfast for a New Year's gig and so yeah. forth. And then, because we had a, a break, because we played that gig, and then we were supposed to do a UK Ireland tour in the April mm-hmm. of 2020. And it got all got called off. Yeah. Because of lockdown. Oh, was it April or May? I can't remember. So it all got called. So we had a wee break uh, of two or three months and then we were going to head it hard with all these tours planned and then all got fucked out the door. And so our first gig since New Year's 2019, 2020 uh, and we're playing in the Diamond Rock Club in a hall mm-hmm. on Saturday night. Happy and days. I think it's 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 sold out as far as I know, but I'm I mean I'm sure you'll probably if you if, you, if anyone really wanted to go to get a ticket, I'm sure. I might, I, I might ask around. Oh well, I sure that comes to the end of the podcast. Again, thanks very much. It was, it's, I, I thoroughly Brilliant. enjoyed that. Like thoroughly fucking enjoyed that. Good, thanks. Listen, man, best of luck with everything. Good luck with the podcast. And if you're moving into stand up, that's fucking fantastic. Yes, yeah, thank you very much. It's, I'm, I'm, it's a slow process, but I'll get there eventually. Like, aye, well. It's the same with every other fucking creative industry. It's about getting out there and doing it and just putting in the graft and the work. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? As I said, the you know that old Picasso uh, quote, you know, inspiration will find you, but it must find you working. Uh, and that's the truth. The, the best bit of advice I ever got was from my grandfather, which I don't, I did, and didn't really take it on board. And then I realized he was taking the piss out of me. It was if you blow, <laughs> if, 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 if it was if you blow air in a woman's ears, her knuckles will fall down. So. <laughs> 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 what do you mean that's not true? I look at that, that was true as well. Uh, my, f- my first blowjob was great. We're going to run around the bars and fucking Northern Ireland, fucking blowing at people there. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> this, 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 this has been Smitty. This has been Andy from the Bottomables. Win the morning, win the day, and good luck. <laughs>